good. No, 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 you've got to let the applause finish. Well deserved. How do you feel? All that adrenaline just floods away. Do you want to sit down and go to sleep? Eat pizza, yeah. watch Pulp Fiction. Which he, he half-watched last night <laughs> and left at the boxing scene, so I hear. Um, I really enjoyed it. I've seen this routine uh, evolve. Thank you. Um, so the sustainability angle. But I think Santa Teresa is an interesting story because, you know, it's about sustainable quality, isn't it? Yeah. And a lot of time in coffee, that uh, conversation gets broken up. Do you know what I mean? About the, yeah. You know, like, oh, it needs to be... Sustainability is just about uh, footprint. Yeah. But actually, it has to be high. You have yeah, to improve to, the quality to, at the same time. Yeah, it has to be about the quality of the coffee because it's, you know, it's representing you as a farm. Yeah. And then you know, they have to take care of your staff because they're going to make, they're going to pick better coffee. Yeah. You know, they're going to take better care of the product. Yeah. It's just one big circle, really. And did um, there was a visit out to the farm, right? Uh, Dave's been out Dave's to the farm. Been. Yeah. I haven't had the pleasure yet, but potentially November. Yeah. yeah. So, does, it, does it depend on how you do today? Does it? Just look at my box. <laughs> <laughs> there he is in the front. He's got sunglasses so on. Yeah, no, November is when they start looking at uh, picking again. Okay. So they have asked me if I want to pop out. Okay, and then so the inspiration of that coffee inf that, you know, influenced the rest of the routine in terms of the sustainability of the milk and the, the honey and everything. Yeah, so I mean, the minute I tried this coffee, I learned more about the farm. Yeah. I, I, I've, you know, I've worked closely with Bruton Dairy for a few years and they're absolutely fantastic guys, and I just yeah. knew that I was that the first dairy I want to go to straight away. I want to work with these people. Yeah. Just to quickly say goodbye to the judges. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers, Rob. Thank you. And you have uh, four cups waiting for the. Uh... Yeah, I got some scales as well, so I was going to weigh out their shots. Yeah. yeah. There you go. And I got some. Uh, what you I've Got some acais just on my. Oh, have you? Yeah, what, what more expensive scales for the... Uh... Like extra cups as well. He wants, like he wants his Akaya scales. Thanks, man. No problem. So you're going to brew the, uh, the team on the couch with some espresso? Definitely. Tell us about how you're brewing and why you've decided to brew the coffee the way you have. Well, so... With this coffee, is if you pull the shorter shot style, so like the classic sort of 18, 34 out, you, you got like lovely chocolate orange notes, but you yeah. didn't really get the, like the strong floral nature of it. So just by elongating in that shot, and you just got this lovely, the jasmine flavor just pops from it. Wow. Which is definitely a highlight, and you know, obviously with the Panama yeah, Geishas is... The idea is to brew it to showcase that coffee, right? Yeah. And then for the milk course and the signature drink, did you brew the coffee differently? I didn't. I pulled exactly the same shot for, yeah, for across the board. Yeah, yeah, keep it nice and consistent. As you know, like on stage, there's more more things to go wrong. <laughs> there's always plenty to go wrong. <laughs> uh, how many times have you competed now, Callum? Uh, this is my it's my second year competing, fourth time on stage. So I've, I've only done the UK BCs. I haven't done any other competitions yet. Okay. So last year. So this year you've made it through to the final? Yep. Which you must be thrilled about. Pretty happy, man. Uh, um, last year? Uh, I didn't get through the regionals. Okay. We won't talk about last year. Yeah. Sorry. Screw last year. <laughs> That's gone. <laughs> Dead to me. <laughs> no, but yes, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a privilege to be here anyway. Sorry. As you know, I've never actually been a cafe barista. So yeah. the working and talking is not my strong point. So I had to work, <laughs> I had to work my routine around that as well. But that's an interesting point, isn't it, about you know, the role of the barista, exactly what it means. Yeah. You know, but you deal with baristas all the time, don't you? Work with baristas every day. Yeah. 
So it's, um, you know, in, in the same way, it's all the same principles. And in fact, you're looking to sort of make them better baristas. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about making coffee accessible as well as a lot of people, there's a lot of overcomplication in coffee. And generally, the people want to have a good coffee. And a lot of people make it sound harder than it needs to be. Sure. So it's not making it accessible. Yeah, because from your point of view, your goal is to get people to understand, right? Yeah. So not just to make it sound more complex. I don't want to, yeah, I don't make it sound like I'm making something that's not achievable for them. Would you like me to take these over? Yeah, man, yeah, they're not my trays are gone. Who needs this side. Tray? How many am I making? Do you want, is it five? I'll Four? Have, Look for the invisible tech judge, and then I was like, look inside my porter filter. Well, it's know, clean. It's muscle memory, isn't it? <laughs> do you want a second? Uh, do you want something else to pour it into? Yeah, I'll have a, I'll have a brew. I haven't had enough coffee today. A short one, yeah. I'm having one. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it's one of the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, for you, so do you feel like uh, competition feeds back into your day to day? Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing I love about competitions, it's people who are excellent at what they do, coming together with lots of passion, trying to drive an industry forward. Yeah. And just adrenaline slowly dropping out of my system. It's okay, mate, it's okay. You're doing well. You've, got, you've still got like a 10 minute talk over there. Awesome. So, <laughs> just wipe that up for you. Thanks, mate. <laughs> That's okay. So, ladies and gentlemen, what we're going to do is sit Callum down in the throne. He's going to have a chat with the team over there. Um, and in the meantime, I would like to introduce Tampa Tantrum. Following Callum's chat, uh, the guys are going to discuss some of the hot topics in the industry. Um, three stars. Three stars. Yeah. Thanks, mate. Um, uh, that, was, that was fantastic. It was uh, me and Colin just sat here chatting all the way through. It just kind of like how how the judges will just get that kind of presentation yeah. because you were just being clear and concise and they, they, they didn't seem wasted words. Yeah, I mean, not like to be controversial, but you are playing a score sheet. So if you're going to play against the score sheet, then you like, not like why compete, but you, you don't want to achieve victory if you're not going to play a score sheet. I, th I, th I think, I mean, Colin, I'm sure, will have a more interesting point on this than me, but I think, uh, actually, some people want competition for different things. Sometimes yeah. it's to have a theme and a point, and it may be hope to win with that theme and point as yeah. well. Whereas I think, I, and I love, I absolutely love the simplicity of your um, preparation table, as in, Again, there's no fancy yeah. equipment, fancy machinery. Like, and you were, the, you were the closest. You could have yeah. brought it easily. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I was five minutes away. No, but I always think that if you look at like a really great plate of food, it's simple ingredients done well. I, you don't go to many Michelin-star restaurants with 10 ingredients on a plate. It's three or four. No, it was really refreshing to see that. And we were actually talking about competition before you came out and about how, how much money you can actually throw at this thing. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, and it, it, it was really refreshing to see. Now, that's all stuff that you would have in a coffee shop or yeah. in a roastery. That's, that's, that's the same thing about making it accessible. Like, if I come up here with equipment that costs, minus my lovely copper kettle, 
Um, my current pair of equipment is hundreds and hundreds of pounds. It doesn't make it as accessible. Obviously, you know, I'm using a coffee that's well, I was not just going to say, friendly. let's talk about the coffee <laughs> because you're using a honey geisha from yeah. Santa Teresa, uh, which is in Panama, very famous farm, part yeah. of Toby's estate. It is, yeah. Set of farms. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's delicious. Yeah, it's, it's a tough one because I said, I'm, it's the con I'm contradicting myself about the accessibility of coffee, but. I was also talking about epiphany coffees as well. When, I, when we had that coffee in the roast room, we did a cupping with FST. And I tried it for the first time. I was like, this coffee is incredible. Absolutely did everything that I wanted in a coffee. And then you're, like, you're sat around, you're drinking the same coffees like day to day, and you're like, I just want something that's com going to completely change, change what I'm doing. So I had that, and I was like, absolutely amazing. I mean, th this is more of a general thing about honeyed coffees than this one, but yeah. like, honey coffees tend to be a little inconsistent at oh, times. Oh, definitely, yeah. Has that posed some challenges while prepping for competition and, and practicing? Yeah, so, I mean, when I, I'm actually using last seasons, um, but they, they uh, vacuum pack the bags, so the coffee stayed in a great condition from last November when it was picked. Because, um, I mean, the new crop was fantastic, but it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted that really singy jasmine note. I mean, this is, this is a really good point about seasonality. Seasonality isn't the freshest. Seasonality yeah. is when that coffee's good. Yeah. I, I remember cupping a Kenyan coffee that was 17 months old yeah, we, um, and was getting better every day. Yeah, and I've we, tasted coffee that's three months old. That's yeah, we, um, when we're in practice, obviously, because I don't want to go through practicing with that every time I was on the machine because it gets a bit expensive. But um, we found a bag that was roasted in December and uh, it tasted amazing. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. It was still light, floral. The jasmine was probably even stronger. Yeah, coffee can be very unpredictable in that sense. Hey, but tell us what, what is, you've been, a, you've never been a barista? No, so I was, had a passion for coffee yeah. and I made my effort to seek good coffee, but um, I never worked in a cafe, I worked in hospitality, but um, I literally went to extract coffee in a Hugo Boss suit for an interview. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know extract, but yeah. Hugo Boss suits didn't go down very well. I worked in recruitment before that. Okay. <laughs> um, but I just really was passionate about the product and I wanted to learn more. And obviously when you're in an environment with people who want to teach you everything possible, then yeah, you can, it's amazing what you can learn in three years. And Absolutely. obviously I'm still learning every day. Yeah. Well, good for you, mate. Thanks, man. Yeah. We, we, should, we should maybe talk a little bit about Extract because local company, yeah. uh, you know, very, very good reputation and some amazing copies too. I mean, how, how much has that helped being part of that team um, oh, to, like, to get to here today? The, the, team, the team at Extractor are, are incredible. Ashley's an amazing roaster, so she roasted my coffee for me for the event. Um, there's a, we've got a technical engineer called, uh, head of tech called Kit, who is the most brutal, brutal judge ever. So he will drink it and spit it back in the cup, so you always know it's, it's really good. Um, you know, everyone there is super supportive. You know, they'll sit there on the weekends with me and my coach, James, we sit, sit in the roastery on the weekend in the evenings, same with a lot of the team, just helping me get better. And when I started at Extract, I spent three weeks behind the machine with a fridge full of milk every day and different coffees to dial in, just to teach myself how to dial in to taste. Fantastic. It's great when you have that opportunity of good, good people around you. Yeah. I, I should stop asking <laughs> questions because I do feel like I'm dominating with you. You're here too, Carl. You can join in. Okay. Um, so it, we, we had a chat earlier on about um, working smart and working hard at competition. Yeah. So, like in terms of hours and days and weeks of preparation, how do you approach yeah. that? Is it just like do the routine? I'm a, over I'm a, and over? I'm a yeah. I'm a routine person. Like I'll break it down into 
Like I'll record myself speaking the espresso course, then I'll record myself speaking the milk course, I'll speak myself doing the SIG course, I'll repeat it, and then I'll just, like, I just walk around, I've been walking around like the outskirts of the perimeter just talking to myself. But I got onto stage and I said to Max, I was like, you know you just think you've forgotten every word? <laughs> and you just, but we, we came to the analogy of like, when, you, when you're a professional swimmer and you hear the gun go, you get back into the flow. So, um, but yeah, I'm a massive believer in proper, proper planning and preparation. You're obviously very smooth on the, you, you must have worked in a bar before, right? I worked in a pub. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. A country village pub. Okay. Well, that's something. <laughs> and a hotel. Yeah, because your sick drink was, was very cocktail focused. Yeah, definitely. I mean, normally when I do like, obviously espresso tonic sort of picked up a little bit recently. Sure. Um, but um, the shaking, it just bonded the drink better, made it a much better emulsion. If you've ever made a tonic and espresso, normally if you pour your espresso over tonic, you get that lovely separation in it. It looks, looks beautiful minus the thick foam on top. Yeah. But the trick is I'm, I actually flattened my tonic water slightly because I knew that if I shook it, it's going to liven up again. Yeah. Because, um, yeah, you learn that the hard way when you're shaking. I really wanted to try yours, actually. I don't know where the people keep taking it. Um, I don't know. It's, it's all back there. This, the copper. Oh, there you go. Okay. Well, you look at this. Sam? Can you just grab me? Is my sick drink still there? Has it all been necked? I'll have a gin and tonic, please, Sam. Uh, grab a couple. Yeah. Yeah, uh, might be, uh, I'll it, have a mojito, it, please. It is definitely diluted. But uh, it smells pretty grapefruity. Remember... Uh, yeah. Wow, that's nice. It's very yeah. nice. And the, honey's, the honey is... So floral, it tastes like the honey tastes like lavenders. Yeah. Oh, no, no, for sure. It's like very lavender, like very floral, bright. Um, that, that's delicious. I remember uh, bringing my wife to a uh, uh, Barista Championship, and I told her it was going to be weird, but she thought the weirdest thing was that when the trolleys move off with all the cups, that all these people would run out of the crowd and start licking yeah. cups and <laughs> trying to get a taste of espresso. It is a little bit odd. We are weird. So, um Obviously, lots of people from Extract and things like that, but there might be people walking lovely, around the street lovely, as well. A lovely two rows. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely helps being the homeboy, yeah. but is there anybody else you'd like to thank? I better thank my wife, because I forgot about thanking her yesterday. And, uh, yeah, she's, been in the, she's also been in the roastery on the weekends, listening to me talk to myself and laughing when I say words like epiphany and silky. Um, there are many coffee widows out there. There's a lot of coffee widows. Um, yeah, and I'd like to obviously thank all the whole entire team at Extract. I mean, without their support, I wouldn't be here, or probably in the coffee industry, and who would probably still be upset in recruitment. <laughs> um, I'll say hi to my mum and dad, because they've been on Facebook going crazy, sharing of all my friends and family. And obviously, I mean, what's amazing to see here is I've got, I've got the Extract team, but I can see loads of uh, like partners and customers yeah. who have come down to support, which I'm really very overwhelmed by, so thank you very much. Callum, I enjoyed your performance very much, and I'm sure everybody else uh, has. Please, one big round of applause for Callum Parsons. Thank you. You're pleased to run away. <laughs> no, thank you. So, again, another very different performance. Yeah. No, I mean, I'd like to hear your, your... Now Callum's gone, we can talk about him, honestly. What do you think? <laughs> it was very precise. Nobody else is listening. It was precise, very clinical, without being cold. I, I think it, Colin said it too. It's like super easy for the judges to understand when you just break it down into, this is where the points are. I don't get any points for this stuff. I'm not going to put that in. It was, it was really interesting. 
I also wonder if the people in the audience can actually feel the difference when listening to that kind of presentation compared to another, because if you haven't understood what a score sheet looks like or haven't seen one, I wonder how that feels, you know, to, to hear it. Because it's a, it was a very clear, descriptive speech. And then from people who know the score sheet, you understand what he's hitting, but also it's a very different, clean, like you said, style of presentation as well. Maybe the judges like hit, hit a button every time they're giving them the score. It's like, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it would make it a lot clearer. Are you thinking of like tape me out again? Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, it would make things. It, it's interesting as well to see his career path, where he's coming into coffee at a certain level and almost going back down towards the right. first position, which is the other way from what the other guys are doing. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's what we're seeing in our industry now is that as it matures and grows, we're starting to attract people with different skill sets into the industry, um, and that's the sign of a maturing industry. Would you say? I think so. I mean, something that's becoming more and more pleasingly prominent in London, at least, because I know London, um, there's a growing number of business operators that are coming in from all different you know, value systems and, and careers that are totally focused on bringing, uh, opening a cafe based on all the virtues of running a profitable business with this absolute passion instead of, whereas in the past maybe it was passionate baristas entering it because they believed they were you know, going back to what I was saying before, selling something unique but not really doing it well enough because of the whole thing. So, yeah, I mean, we're attracting a bunch of people based on the virtues of the industry, not just based on the virtues of coffee being coffee. And I think as well, when you see somebody who is in a roastery doing this as well, we were looking before at how a barista's career progression goes in that kind of scale, but what we're seeing is that you don't have to start as a barista to want to be involved in what it means in this kind of environment i think we were look we were talking just now about you know the, how relevant the competitions are to the day-to-day -day of a barista when in fact in callum's example there is not a day-to-day -day. it's actually using it as a way to perhaps grow in skill set and perform it, it does feel as an industry we are growing up a little bit and actually like the whole profitable business thing like People may laugh, but they were just businesses opened, doomed to fail, upset, yeah. um, and, and without a very clear business plan and a, and, a, and, a, and a focus. I mean, you've written a book about opening a coffee shop and how to do it. I mean, how, how important do you think it is to, to have that? You know, I mean, can you open a business and it not have that idea to make money and it still be profitable? Oh, uh, it's difficult. Like, it's difficult to make money when you're focused on making money. So when you're not focused on it, it's more difficult. And I think, uh, I think what people need to, the, the difference between a business idea and a business planner, it's crucial, you know? And you can have an awful business idea, but a really good business plan to make lots of money. Uh, or you can have a great business idea, no business plan, and lose lots of money. So it's, a, it's a finding a balance of the two. And I think if you can arrive in a place where you've got a solid business plan that spits out more money than it puts in, uh, and you can couple that with something you enjoy doing, then that's great. But um, it, that can often be confused on the outside as, oh, that person's doing what they're doing and they're being successful. Yeah, I think there was a tendency maybe at some point in time when the industry was a bit younger, um, where businesses was opening basically just on the basis that they're selling specialty coffee. Because of all those very independent, very specific values, there was probably a tendency for people to reject the idea that they were profit-seeking business entities and because it really kind of rubbed against the, 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 the core values of 
what specialty coffee is. And now that the market is transitioning to be a much more competitive and mature one, then all these other values start to creep in, which embed a different sense of sustainability, which is business practice and all the yeah. rest of it and, and the audience and all that. I think as well, if you look at markets like the American market and the Australian market in particular, what we're seeing now in terms of specialty coffee shops that have opened, that, that kind of uh, generation, that kind of started, I suppose, like the early part of the century, 2004, 2005. A lot of them, and the ones that came afterwards, are now dropping off or going out of business, you know, and we're starting to see that sense that, like, that old model isn't working and there needs to be a new model. Is, is that true in, in Holland as well? Do you see that, or is it...? Probably more and more. Um, I think most of the cafes in, uh, in the Netherlands are still very much built by coffee-passionate people. Um, and, uh, but more and more there are cafes opening that our people are generally like, no, I see coffee has a value in this industry and um, I can make money with having a good coffee shop, so I'll open one. Mm. Um, and I think um, those people were always already there, but they were more into... The, the commercial coffee chains, that they opened a chain of, uh, like a franchise. And now these people are moving more and more into the specialty coffee industry as well, where they're just opening a specialty cafe um, to make money, which is an interesting development. And uh, when you walk in, you, you're not sure, yeah. <laughs> because it looks like any other specialty shop out there. But when you talk to the baristas or, or the owners, you do see that there's a different... Um, uh, reason behind opening the shop and uh, that doesn't mean that the quality is bad either which yeah. is interesting no we're at a point now where quality is really really just a hygiene factor I mean it's it has to exist so and it's not a differentiator anymore maybe it was eight years ago because I, I mean I mean do you think there's a guilt in uh, a specialty coffee business being profitable because of where we're buying our raw products from I mean, do you think that's part of the, the part of the problem that we have as an industry that we can't be seen as being too successful because yeah. you know that we're obviously not paying the people back. I mean, that's, well, that's got something. Yeah. To do, uh, sorry, I, I mean, I suppose, but that I think is systemic in the fact that a lot of people don't understand the supply chain anyway. Well, that, I mean, that's the problem is that yeah. it's it's a far more complex. You know, buying from a farmer in Brazil and buying from a farmer in Bolivia are yeah. two di completely different things, and buying from a a co-op in Ethiopia is different again, yeah. so... And the reality is, is if, if we're failing to be profitable on this end, which is where the actual market exists, then we're essentially forsaking our promises to the producers either way. And at that point, the supply chain does fall down because there's no market. Yeah. I mean, tell me a farmer that cares more about what his coffee tastes like than anyone here does. Yeah. It doesn't exist. I think well, at like the same, this, sorry, go ahead. At the same time, if we have a very successful cafe here and a very successful roaster, meaning you can ask more coffee, uh, more money for a cup of coffee, that is a huge thing for a farmer as well. If we can up the price of a cup of coffee, meaning that that might trickle down, that's amazing. And if we look at, uh, honestly, coffee is a quite cheap product for the quality that it is and the amount of work that it takes. Um, and uh, there's a lot of more money spent on, on different drinks, wine or cocktails. Yeah, yeah but uh, the, imp the impetus for wine and alcohol was always with the producer. Do you know what I mean? It's very I, no, I, th I think t if you look at tea, tea has done a much better job of making yes. you pay for their higher grades yes. of tea. That is true. And, and, and coffee's done a terrible job at uh, differentiating ourselves from... And we, and we even make our coffee shops look like 
chain coffee shops. You know, we have sofas, the third plate, we play the same music. We, you know, we have the same menus, the same drink names. Um, and we haven't differentiated ourselves. When somebody, you know, somebody as simple as tea has done an excellent job of doing that. You can pay, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds for a, a yeah. pound of tea. I, think, I can't uh, find the, coffee that does that. The tea supply chain must be more efficient. Either way, right? But I think where we show our immaturity as an industry is a lot of specialty cafes and a lot of baristas that work in industry. Um, if you go into a cafe, you say, if they, for instance, they have a guest coffee on. They'll say, oh, well, this one is a, you know, it's a rarer variety, so it's going to be more. And you go, oh, that's fair enough for doing that thing. Where, but the, the thinking stops at that point. Yeah. And it's not, like, it's very frequent that I would go to a cafe that has, you know, a range of different coffees. And I'm looking at the prices of the bags that they're selling, and I'm looking at the prices of the cups, and I'm like, you're just making this up as you go along. Yeah. Like going into a coffee shop and seeing, oh, this bag is 25 pounds, and you're like, right. where, how did you, where did you pluck that number from? And like, well, it's a guest coffee, there's not very much of it. I'm like, yeah, I know that, but where did you get 25 pounds from? Or this coffee is three euro, this coffee is eight euro. I'm like, where did you get that number? You know, yeah. and there's, there's a lack of, uh, it's, it's basically to stick a big number up. And it's see very confused, yeah. And I don't, I mean, it's, the, it's, it feels like we're, like we're in that teenage stage of we don't really understand the value of something, but we know it's better. Yeah, there's a lot of roasters out there even that probably don't understand the, the nature of, with the movement of the money along the value chain either. So it's hard for us to expect cafes to, and even harder to expect consumers to kind of grasp what the value of it is, because it simply will never change. But I think we're definitely in a position where at the origin ends, the average price of coffee will probably start going up, but then there'll be less of a disparity between the 600 pound per pound, you know, geishas that exist for no reason or what, it, do you know what I mean? So I think these, the, the gap will slowly close, but. Uh, well, I, th I think as we see declining supplies, which we're seeing across the world, and we're seeing leaf rust have more issues, we're yeah. having more pest and disease, that coffee will become a super expensive beverage. We should really enjoy it while we can now, yeah. because supply is gonna get less and less and demand is gonna get more and more. India drink 40 grams per person per capita. If they drink 80, they won't export a single bean. Sure. Um, you know, like China, China is about 90 grams per capita, where Finland's 11 kilos. If China get Finland's taste for coffee, we're in trouble. We're going to pay lots and lots of money for good coffee. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. We've underpaid for way too long. The price of coffee is exactly the same today as it was 30 years ago. Yeah. And that makes no sense. And also, with, with regard to the price as well, a small incremental change from a roaster's perspective on how much they are spending on that coffee going backwards for the farmer is going to have a much larger percentage increase on the profits for those farmers. So a small increment in a, a price increase on a roaster's side, which would then make a very negligible amount of increase on a coffee shop side, would make a much larger percentage increase on profits for a farmer. We do have to be careful, though, that we, and we should be hard on ourselves as an industry, because I see this a lot as a cop-out where you'd be in a cafe and someone say, oh, that coffee's very expensive, and the person goes, well, that means that like a lot more money goes to the farmer, and I'm like, well, not necessarily. Like, you're yeah. charging them more. Exactly. I mean, that, is, that's, is that going to the roaster? Is that going to the importer? Is that going to the farmer? No, not as not necessarily. So where is the money going? That yeah, that depends. But that is, of course, also very difficult. And I think it links to the last presentation as well of sustainability. Um, what is sustainability? And as a consumer, how are you supposed to know 
where your money is going. Um, and of course, a lot of certifications have worked towards that, fair trade, um, OOTS. Um, the question is, for some reason, these certifications don't necessarily have a good name in coffee, which of course is a, a subject ten temper tantrum is also covered. Um, and direct trade is getting really big, and, and direct trade has a lot of plus points. At the same time, you're asking the consumer to be educated enough to know what direct trade is, if this person's direct trade is the same as that person's direct trade. Um, well, I mean, why do you difficult. Think, why, why do you think we're so obsessed with uh, telling the consumer how we buy our raw product? Because I don't see this in other industries where, you know, like no, the potato, you know, the fish and chip industry don't seem to be obsessed with how much their potatoes and fish cost. Because no. it, it separates us from the chains, I, I think, fundamentally. I mean, is it because we have a romantic view, like as consumers, we have a romantic view of coffee producers and we feel that they should get this fair deal? And but I think we have that as coffee professionals. I think coffee consumers don't have that romantic idea. Um, you don't think what? You don't the think consumers, doesn't, they don't have this romantic idea of the coffee farmer, no, the, the coffee professional the, does. The largest growing you know, market sector is sustainability, so people want to make an informed purchase decision to someone they trust to wrap all of these virtues in for them, right? Therefore, it's our responsibility to be as truthful as we can be about where our money where our money's actually going. At the same time, I mean, I, I personally, I like to spend my money in a place where I know that it's going to a good place and that your, your money is, is, a, is a voice. And um, um, at the same time, it's exhausting. And I, I, in that sense, having certifications is really nice <laughs> to a certain degree. But unfortunately, there isn't a certification that's filled that void. Uh, and I actually don't think there is one because, co as we've already said, coffee buying is so complex and there are so many different ways that that deal is done that, you know, you could say, I paid the cooperative this much money, yeah, but if you don't know mean? they're paying the members that money, and so it becomes very complicated. I mean, you've um, probably I, more experience than any of us here about like the actual transaction with producers based on your work. I mean, I suppose, I mean, what does that mean? Has, has thing, has, have things changed in your experience? Very much so. I mean, I think the, the um, the market has changed in there are a lot more green buyers now than there ever were and they're all looking for the best coffee and they all have a larger budget than they used to so we are paying more money for good coffee like that that that's a fact that we are paying more money for good coffee um and it, but it's become very competitive and people are knocking on the same doors and relationships are being tested of how good that relationship has been in the past, because if somebody else knocks on the door and it hasn't been so good, then you might lose them. Um, and uh, I, I feel the power, uh, quite rightly, is moving towards the, the smallholder, the smaller producer, um, and the cooperatives are becoming more powerful as well and more organized at marketing themselves, which, a, yeah. which is fantastic. I mean, it, it really is a good thing, but it's also challenging as your costs go up, you have to react to that in a market that doesn't really like to change its prices very yeah, much. For sure, yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's where the, the, the guest model, or, or the, even it's not a guest, if it's having a second or third coffee from the same roaster, is, is quite an interesting one. And one I think we, as an industry, we probably have to focus on because it drives that, that kind of next tier of coffee that we want to see for the future that will be in the first hopper in a few years' time. 
And, and to make that viable is a difficult thing. And traditionally, we've not been good at that. I think a lot of innovations, especially in grinder technology. I was just going to say we need to invent a grinder that means that we don't need three grinders on bar. Yeah, and, like, and it's, but even having ones that dose effectively or to extract, like if you're serving 10 of one type of coffee, you know, a week, you know, because it's that expensive, you're not going to be able to make it very well. It's going to inter interrupt your workflows. You yeah, can't really. scale that thing yeah, up yeah. either. Yeah. Like, so we need to get really good at like being able to, if you, you know, you don't go into, like bars generally don't have, oh, we're going to sell 95% of this beer and some of these ones, you know. It's like, there's a range there, you know, and it'll definitely be 95% these four beers. And that's, I suppose, a more mature market and how we need to go. And But we need to work towards that. But I feel like we're getting there. And I think, I think it's think also so. quite sustainable to be able to not only buy the amazing coffees, but also the okay coffees, which means that a farmer is also selling more Absolutely. than just one coffee. Uh, well, a little bit that we were talking about with Dale earlier is about the petites. The petites are something where there's... It's not about paying more money for the top lots. If you can take more of the coffee that they'd normally get less for, yeah. and we're paying a premium for that as well, then you raise the income of the producer. Absolutely. And I think... These are things that we do have to start looking at as an industry. As the supply gets less and less, the demand gets more and more, we need to be more innovative in the ways that we are sourcing the coffee. And also it means that you're able to confront the traditional concept of sizing and, and how is that a definer of the quality that we're able to achieve. 30 years ago, grading was super important because that's all we had. You know, now we have better processing, we have better dry milling, we have better picking, we have more control over the varietals. We really, like, the screen size means absolutely nothing anymore. I remember yeah, being at, um, I was asked by a prominent enough uh, company in the UK to come in and taste some coffees for their new range. And it was like a behind closed doors thing, it's fine. It was me and three other industry professionals, one of whom was a very established and, and respected uh, coffee buyer. Called James Hoffman. No. Not James Hoffman. No, respected. Oh, and, right, yeah, um, yeah. They, uh, they brought out this Ethiopian coffee, which actually was from Square Mile. They had a, a range of, uh, of different coffees. And the beans were really small. And this guy walked forward and looked and went, well, that's awful. We can't drink that. And the guy goes, why? He goes, the beans are tiny. And this guy was like, you know, a, a, a leading professional. And, but today, this is, that was only six years ago. Yeah, I think it's getting, in my experience, working with more and more importers and exporters as well, that there's a new era of them which are being way more transparent and way more forthcoming with, you know, how they focus on their margins and the fact that the industry is less myopic in terms of just looking for these stunning coffees and realising that every coffee does really have a home, um, which is why a market like Australia, which is so, you know, vast and arguably, like, for better or for worse, the buying power there and the acceptance of a, of a higher quality, I mean, of a, a generally higher quality of bean, which isn't constantly trying to push the boundaries, is, basic, is the future, really, of productivity, at least. Yeah, it's, it's focusing on the quality of those lower-scoring lower coffees with the intention of still well, buying. That's where the difference lies, right? right. And often, the, the guys producing the best coffees are the ones that have the money to do so anyway, so they don't really need it. Right. I think that's an excellent place to leave it. That was... I could carry on for ages, actually, but um, we really should have another competitor, and it's I can see uh, we're coming towards the end of the uh, setup time. So, uh, before we do break uh, for this, just want to thank VA Machinery for uh, being our title sponsor for the Tampa Tantrum here and uh, allowing us to do all of this stuff, which is 
awesome. They are at the back of the room. You should go and see them and say hi. They're lovely people, and they will give you free espresso machines if you say, I send you. So, uh, <laughs> that may not be true. <laughs> it might be, though. Could be. Yeah, give it, it a whirl. Um, uh, thanks to you two for having us. Thank you very much. Yeah. Uh, it's been fun. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll be back after our next presentation. <laughs>